This is Fad Libertari. I'm glad, I'm so glad to be on Dakan because I've been following you guys for a couple of months now. And uh, I already have your sticker on my laptop, so that's pretty cool. Catch Dakan on SoundCloud. Really engaging personal experiences and personal interviews. And very, very organic and positive energy in this, in this room. When you in the family car, but backseat. Over, over me. Urban life. Neighborhood banter. Pull up a seat and pass the time. The Dukan Show. Hosted by OT, Toothless, Urshad, and Reem. Welcome to the tribe. For me, um, for me, I started doing stand-up comedy in 2006. Uh, it's not that far away. Yeah, in the U.S. While I was oh, yeah. um, uh, uh, pursuing a bachelor's in geophysics. Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so... Uh, by by major, I'm a geophysicist, it's geological like a geophysicist scientist. Hat as well. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> and boots too. Uh, but um, so yeah, I'm, I have a bachelor's um, in geophysics, which is a branch of geological sciences um, from the University of Texas Very at Austin. Cool, man. Yeah. And what what I was um, I was lucky enough to to go to a school that was very influenced by um, the arts. Austin, Texas, was was home to uh, to a lot of film students who ended up becoming really great um, filmmakers, like Wes Anderson, for example. He's from the yeah, like he graduated. From yeah, Wes Anderson graduated from uh, UT Austin. The Wilson brothers graduated from UT Austin. Renee Zellweger graduated from UT Austin. Matthew McConaughey graduated from UT Austin. Oh, wow. So, um, just being there in that city, and I mean, Austin is home to South by Southwest festival. So. Yeah. It's like That's a, 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 yeah, a, 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 a annual, an annual just festive gathering of creatives, and it's um, it helped a lot. It helped mm. shape what I felt about movies. It helped shape what I felt about. So that was a conscious arts. decision to go to University of Texas. Austin. No, um, I applied to different schools, and it was the best one. Okay. I mean, they were number four in geophysics uh, in the U.S., so <laughs> <laughs> I was lucky enough to get in. Yeah. Okay, acting, so at the time, acting, it was, which number was geophysics. It? There was nothing um, I, about comedy at the time. Nothing, nothing. Okay. First couple of years, I didn't even think about it. I mean, I did, I, I did school plays when I was, uh, you know, yeah, okay. in, in elementary school and, and like a little, a little in middle school, but nothing more than that. And then after. Um, I went to the U.S. I discovered stand-up comedy, and I realized like, oh wow, because they're very similar to the monologues that happen in Khaliji. Place. They do, mm. yeah. Um, like especially in Kuwaiti theater. Kuwaiti yeah. theater is like the the uh, I mean the pioneer in, 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 in the, the, in, in the GCC. Yeah. yeah, but and they they translated onto TV. So I used to live in Kuwait, and on Fridays when you turned on the TV, there'd be prayer, but then in the evenings there would be, and on Saturday afternoons. It would literally be a play on film, like like they yeah. would just show the play. But yeah. it's a monologue. Mm, okay. No, 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 it's a recorded, it's a recorded, it's like, a recorded yeah. play with some um, improvised monologue bits and pieces in in the mm. whole thing. Um, that's like the old Egyptian plays, right? Exactly, yeah. exactly. Very similar. There were two, uh, let's say, two polar ends of of the, the the theater arts in in the region. You got the Kuwaiti theater and the Egyptian theater spearheading the whole movement. Um, you had 
people like Adil Imam who were coming up around the same time when Hussain um, uh, Abdul was coming up and Said Al-Faraj was coming up. So these guys were like, they had the same kind of like uh, ideals when it comes to um, writing and performing their plays. They were very um, intellectual, political. They had a lot of cultural themes, but still funny. Very, very funny at the same time. Mostly comedy. Uh, some of them would be, let's say, dramedies. They were like, they would... Um, Switch back and forth between drama and comedy during the the during the, the course of the play, which was the most popular style back then. Um, all monologues? All no, no, no. They had like intermittent monologues while performing, but um, like you'd have a part, like a part of the play would be like just one actor on stage with a spotlight on him and talking to the audience. This would be, for example, Brahim Salal had a lot of these. Uh, in plays that had Abdelhamdulillah and Sadal Faraj in them, like Hamid Diyar. Hamid Diyar was one of the um, one of my favorite plays um, in the late 70s, early 80s. And Hamid Diyar had a lot of monologues performed by Ibrahim Salat, who's playing this kind of like voice of the people, kind of, um, or let's say, Sotul Dhamir. How would you say that? In it's like the, the um, your like conscience. Your conscience yeah. speaking to you. So he was, he was performing. Your conscious speaking to you, your righteous conscious yeah. speaking. To is there okay? I'm, um, I don't want to de- deviate too much because we're actually talking about how you got into it. But like, is there a significance? F- um, is there a significance in the monologue? Why? Why did they stick with monologue? Because naturally, you'd think to expand to have multiple characters and all this type of thing. Why? Why is the monologue so significant in Arab culture or Middle Eastern culture? Uh, it's because of the um, there's this cultural item that every single Middle Eastern culture. It's had since, you know, so I could, I could, this is like I could read back into history, which is at Hakawat. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, I've heard that term before. Okay. What is that? So the storyteller in local gathering spots and cafes, you'd have, and every single Middle Eastern culture, you had this at some point. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Someone who, yeah, exactly. Someone who would um, make money from just sitting down uh, on on a chair and telling people entertaining stories. They don't have to be true. Just kind of like a personal entertainer. So it comes it comes from the storyteller. Yeah, thing. from the okay. storyteller culture item, I think. And it, this is where the roots are, and then it happens to translate into a monologue style on 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 stage. Mm. But you still, I mean, you still had scenes like you know, and 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 um, long long scenes with with multiple characters. I mean, there was one one scene in in Hamidiyah where they kind of acted out a whole uh, session in Majlis al Ummah. Which is their their national assembly, which is the, like their parliament, basically. House of the people. Yeah. Oh, okay. So it's uh, or me- they also call it uh, the the people's council, Majlis al-Shab, also. Um, so Majlis al-Ummah, which is like this the, the, the Kuwait parliament in essence, um, they acted out the whole scene. So they had multiple like nuwab and multiple like parliament members, and, and so that you had like a good eight or nine actors on stage. Mm. In one scene, so you definitely had the classic, you know, like, you know, um, I guess theater setup. But what's what's different? Let's say between uh, the difference between uh, Khaliji theater, Egyptian theater, and let's say um, theater in in London and the in the U.S. For example, theater in the U.S. and the U.K. is very classic. So it's mostly um, reproductions. 
Unless they're musicals, they're mostly reproductions of like Shakespearean plays or, or something. Hamlet for the 14 million times. Exactly. <laughs> um, the difference is we never had a history of, of theater in the region before. Yep. So everything was new. Everything was, was, was uh, um, modern, was, was um, even like they were talking about time sensitive issues too, like things that were happening right now. Okay. You know, they, they, they would write it and perform it within like a couple of weeks. And it's it's not like something that's captured and reperformed in the way Shakespearean no. plays are performed? No. Ah, yeah. okay. That's what you're saying. There's no yeah. like, okay. Yeah. I mean, all the plays that are being played right now are mm -hmm. modern. For the, the time, for this time. For this time, yeah. they're performed for maybe, maybe um, a couple of years and then that's it. You would have them, like, you'd have one major performance recorded on tape. And those tapes would That's, be sold. Mm. Oh, they get sold. Yeah, wow. um, back in the days of VH VHS. VHS, yeah. yeah. They used to be sold as VHS, and then CDs, DVDs. And so, like, you're talking about like history of theater here. Is there? Is there? Do they teach history of theater in in Middle Eastern universities? As far so. as you know, do you I know? Don't think mm -hmm. so. Do you know? Not, not to my knowledge. Not, 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 not necessarily Arabic yeah. theater. Maybe they'd have it like in Egypt or Beirut. Maybe, maybe, but, yeah, um, maybe there. You know what? Um, the when I was living, when I, we were in Iraq, and uh, it was un, it was in, from ninety six, ninety five, ninety six, ninety seven. The only two universities that actually were existing under the regime of Saddam were the batch with the University of Fine Arts and the University, the dental, the dentistry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but but I remember I, I I was really young, and they took us through a, like on a on a field trip. And I didn't see, not that I knew the curriculum, but there was a lot of like mime and there was a lot of like, there wasn't, I didn't see anything that was, you know, pan-Arab theater of any sort. Mm. I don't think that was something, that wasn't but it was really acted out, I think, as you said, in uh, it, in a modern space because it was, it was really embraced by like the younger, the, the, the generation who needed a platform and needed a voice. Exactly. Um, Even in Syria, like, you know, um, Prebyshaw's here. They had like Dred Laham performing on stage yeah. when he was really young. Wow. And, is this and an, I don't know who the story is. Dred Laham is like um, he's an iconic. He's like okay, yeah. He's he he was like uh, yeah. a major. He's like the Adel Imam of Syria. of Syria. Yeah. Let's just say that. So I you think had, they're all of that same time. Caliber. Yeah, yeah. And, time yeah, and yeah, same caliber. So exactly. these are like historic iconic actors and actresses. Yeah. Yeah, they all started yeah. off just like how Feroz is an iconic yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And they transcended Arab boundaries, which yes. is a very difficult thing to do at, yeah. at sure. their time. Sure. Even now it's actually very difficult yeah. to do. What do you mean well, the transcended? Um, you they, know, you had they had uh, they saw popularity in different parts of the and, Arab world, yeah. not just in their local communities. So Fairuz, um, was in Iraq, in Jordan, in Egypt, in you know. Whereas, and it's very hard for a performer to transcend all those boundaries. I think it's very, you know. So that's a bit weird that they don't teach it so much, like kind of thing. I'm sure somewhere uh, they, they in teach like the basic sciences, or the basic, the, the ba they teach the basics of theater art. And where did, so where do you go to learn? Um, like at the, the so basics, you, like of, you went to Austin. Yeah, I have a person who can't go to Austin. Yeah, there are like um, I, I believe performing art institutes in Kuwait, I think, and Ma'ad al Masrah. I think they have they have a couple of them mm. in, in Kuwait. I'm not I'm not sure uh, where other. But it's tough to find them. Yeah, it's, it's tough, tough to find, to find them. them. And even here, like yeah. for example, you 
I wouldn't know. Like, I know AUS has a really great theater, theater program. program. Yeah, I, heard about that. Uh, I know, but, but that's taught major, in English. Right? It's not. I don't think it's a major. It's, it's, yeah, we'll have to double a, check. A few courses, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and then you've got like so. For example, if you they have if, the New York Film Academy in Abu Dhabi, which gives like courses like you know yeah. for, for a couple weeks but it's very mass communication focused versus theater versus, focused yeah. or acting focused yeah, yeah. Interesting. Um, and the interesting thing is to be an actor you have to be immersed yeah. you have to be in, like you know in an immersive um, environment where you're nurtured and you have um, a place to go as in you can see other actors before you and interact with them in and and you know the actor studio which like is that actor studio. yeah that actor yeah, studio I mean. it's so brilliant because you get to sit and hold court with you know the greatest of your time and hear about their process and their practice however um, n- not only that you sit amongst your peers people who yeah. also celebrate the art of that uh, maybe we need more of that yeah, Maybe that's something we need to kind of have leadership. And because it's interesting, because like uh, I think we said, I said this a few times before. Because when I was when I was in the states, I, I spent some time in LA, and it's funny. Like I always joke about it. You go anywhere around Hollywood. If they're not tourists, they're Saudi students. Right? <laughs> <laughs> no joke. Yeah. They're, they're either tourists Taking over by or they're storm. Saudi students. No joke. Wow. It, yeah. it was amazing to see. And then like you'd go to the hip hop clubs, and you're either black, Latino, or Saudi. <laughs> and then you have a couple of white people randomly there. Wow, <laughs> there um, wow. Let's just say um, last year, Hollywood Reporter wrote an article saying that Saudi tourists, not even just students, Saudi tourists are the number one top paying tourists in the U.S., Annually for like the past couple of years. The Hollywood Reporter. Wow. Yeah, I'd love to see that article. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can wow. send it to you. Yeah, yeah. please. During the summer, especially during August. Of course, yeah. it makes because so much sense. Yeah. But you know what? Now that I think about it, all of my friends say I'm going to LA. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. now that I, I never dawned on me. It never dawned on me until this moment. I think it's um, it's it's majorly because uh, it's California is very liberal. Yeah. That's yeah. one, so it's very accepting. Two, the weather is, is fantastic. Is fantastic. You know? Mm. It's like a, the really nicer version of this weather here. <laughs> yeah. you know? yeah. So they go over there, you got the you got the humidity, you got the heat, but it's not as hot, you yeah. know. And, so the temperature and, the weather makes sense. The weather yeah. makes sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and and they, they feel like I mean it's different when you're a Saudi and you're in like Utah. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know you're like a brown speck. In you're a just in. You're like in, in the tundra. There's yeah. you. <laughs> it's like a, you're like a little no, grain of like, sand in the tundra. Oh, you know? like, there you are. <laughs> but um, but in uh, I mean, you go to LA, they don't know what you are. Are you Persian? Are you? Saudi? Well, you could be Mexican. He's Mexican. Yeah, he's probably Mexican. Mexican. But you he's know, nobody asks you from where Puerto you're from Rico. anyway. Yeah. Like you can actually. Um, use your Saudi driver's license as an ID because it's translated in English so a lot of people use it as ID to drive around you know that's oh. pretty awesome yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I rented a car using my Saudi driver's easy, license huh? really yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, nice. sweet okay where are you so, like, so back Austin, to the question Austin, <laughs> back to the question so yeah so what I did was um, a couple years um, studying in, in UT Austin um, I got exposed to stand-up comedy and I kind of liked it you know like for, for, I was a spectator first First, it was just me watching stand-up comedy. And then at some point, a friend of mine, a roommate of mine, a Kuwaiti guy, actually, is like, why don't you try? Why don't you try doing stand-up comedy? You're a really funny guy. I mean, I, I believe you can, you can, you can, yeah, you can, you, I believe you have charisma, you know, amongst, like, large groups of people. Probably could be doing it on stage, too. 
I didn't think too much of it at first, and then one time I really thought about it, and I'm like, yeah, you know what, I'll do it. And then I started writing, like, my first, like, stand-up routine based on what I've, whatever I've been I've been watching on, on, uh, on TV or, like, you know, by renting out DVD specials and stuff like that. From a blockbuster? From, uh, no. No. <laughs> no, no, I was doing, like, local DVD stores. Supporting like, the local Supporting community. local, you know, um... <laughs> That was like keep Austin weird, support local businesses. That was the slogan for Austin. So they had our iHeart Video, and the difference between going to places like iHeart Video versus Blockbuster, uh, that's why Blockbuster went went, like, went bankrupt. Went bankrupt. Yeah. they were just like closing up all over Austin, even before I graduated. And the reason is because you go, you have a personal experience. You got the guy who's there working at this local store because he loves movies slash um, DVDs, you know? Mm. And he would actually recommend certain things. And you had, if you wanted to explore, like, stand-up comedy specials, you always had that one guy in the back with slick back hair. <laughs> you know, it's like, dude, I know this, like, stand-up routine is going to open up your eyes to so many things. <laughs> Dan Newton. <laughs> Dan Newton. <laughs> your mind is just going to be a blown you mm-hmm. know and then he's like do you know richard pryor i'm like mm-hmm. no he's like oh my god <laughs> <laughs> you, you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna get you some stand-up essentials and you're gonna have to watch every single one of them and then he got me like live on Sussex boulevard and like stuff oh, from sweet like, yeah and he got me like um a bunch of richard pryor ones cosby eddie murphy back in his days mm-hmm. um even Jim Carrey back uh, when, they, but, when yeah. he was live in uh, the, what is it in Living Color I think that's yeah, the show that yeah. he was part of mm. and like early on just like stuff that even I, I've actually watched a 1960s performance of Woody Allen mm. who by the way was it, a great stand-up comedian yes was a great stand-up comedian yeah. and I think it's because of the 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 neuro he told jokes like with the neuroses like that you know that that he had yeah. So it felt this like it felt like this really anxiety driven person yeah. telling you anxiety driven jokes about life, and I loved it. I loved. Yeah. But so like is really yeah, totally. <laughs> it comes through, yeah. you know, from and I, I think that's what's interesting is your research was actually the not anything too modern from the sounds of it. It no. seemed to be like I mean, I went back like way back and then kind of worked your way forward, like all the way through. Um, like that year, what was happening that year? How long like, did this take you? I guess like at first I just watched a couple of them, and then I I attempted stand up comedy for the first time at a student uh, a student or- organization run event. How'd that go on campus? It was horrible. <laughs> yes, you won. <laughs> it was horrible. <laughs> it was way too rehearsed. I was making blonde jokes. And oh, being brown, it was just like, people were like, oh. <laughs> and then no, I realized no, that it's... Not good. <laughs> yeah. I realized that as a stand-up community, you should be more adapt to making fun of yourself than other people. That was the strong point that you could relate to. As a brown person. As a brown person. The way you can get the, the audience to relate to you mm. is to start making fun of yourself. Be comfortable mm. in your own skin before making fun of other people. Otherwise, you'd just be you'd be seen like a, you know, like a, a yeah, like just like a douchebag. Mm. And 
I realized mid performance, and I, I ended up. I, I think I ended it with like Sesame Street imitations. I don't know. It was just really <laughs> so wait, um, the moment that you realized, okay, this is bombing. Mm-hmm. Like I'm bombing this right now. I wrapped up pretty quick. You were like, you were <laughs> I was like, like, all right, right thank you very much. Good night. Thank you. I'm flying back to Saturday tomorrow. Put it on the mic stand. Just left. And um, what made you get back up on stage? I always find that very interesting. It took me right? a whole semester. Took me a whole semester to actually get the guts to, to do it three again. Months or something. Yeah, months, probably the, three months. Does that speak to your nature, or is that the first time you've ever done it? Like, like, as in, is this how you live life? You get back up in three months, or is it just like I don't, I don't the draw was? I didn't think too much about it. My my roommate was there when I attempted it for the first time, so he had like a whole speech set up for me. <laughs> you know, and he's like, "What the hell were you doing? Uh, like, what?" He's like, "Dude." That's not what you were saying when we were blah, 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 and at this place, and at this time, and you were telling the story about when you went there, and this happened to you. What happened to those stories? Those personal experiences? Good those call. are the ones that people want to hear. You That's need a good counsel roommate. like you know that what? in your life, and, man. Well, why, did you, why did you do the other jokes instead of the I don't same? know. I was what just was copying it? other people. So you've seen it happen. You've seen it work, right? I've seen it work, man. But then I didn't realize that, you know... I don't look like the guys who are performing. No. Is that and it? I, huh? I yeah, think it. I think. Yeah, I think that because you the have guy license. would like the the. I, I watched like, I don't know who who did I watch, like people like you know Brian Reagan, you know, um, he was making fun of like his family relations, you know, like his mom, his relationship with his mom or his dad or whatever. I can't I can't make fun of that because I don't have that kind of relationship with my mom, you know. But I can bring out certain funny elements of awkwardness in the relationship with you know between me and my mom. You know, especially since I'm in the U.S. and my mom's pretty conservative. It's from a different generation, and like if I stay too long and I don't come back for vacation back home, she's gonna think, "Oh my god, oh my god, he's he's married, he's married there, he's married there. He has a son. That's why he doesn't want to come back because he doesn't want us to find out stuff like that." That's funny, just talking about it, right? So. He was telling me, why don't you say those things? Why don't you say that? And, and you can talk about anything. Anything at all. Um, you know, feel free to, to you know, dabble with uh, politics, religion, whatever you want. Whatever, just explore yourself. And then that's what kind of opened up my eyes to it. And it took me a little while to kind of feel like, yeah, you know what? I'm just going to do it. And one time I was like, um, I think midterm frustrated. And I decided to go for an open mic night. Like mm-hmm. I really, I was like, I'm gonna take it. I'm, I'm gonna take it up a notch. And I'm gonna actually go for it. And I went to this uh, comedy club called Cap City Comedy Club, and signed up for the open mic nights. And I had, uh, they were telling me I had two minutes. I'm like two minutes. I, I'm not even doing two minutes. Two to three minutes basically. And if in two minutes you don't do very well they just cut you off if you do well they, they let you go on oh, for a little okay. further that's the, I think that's the thing that they had going on and um, I ended up doing like five okay but it was just uh, I got up on stage I had a few ideas in my head I didn't write anything down I just oh, so you freestyled this one. Uh, yeah but I already had like okay, okay. I'm gonna talk about this and that and this Okay. But that like the basics, like this idea, this idea, and this but idea. You didn't so, like know bullets. The format or the story. No, not at all. Not even the order for it. Okay. So I just like switched back and forth and I just like started feeding off of what the audience was doing. You know, like at first as soon as I um as soon as I, I got on stage I remember telling them like, Hi, how's it going? 
My name is Fahad, or as uh, in 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 American, it's Fahad. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm a student at UT Austin Geophysics Department from Saudi Arabia. And then, it, like you see this, uh, this awkward signs, I'm like, I know, right? You know, oh my god, yeah, it hasn't been easy. It hasn't been easy, especially post 9/11. Uh, just to let you know, uh, I don't know anyone named Osama, you know, something like that, something just along those lines. And um, it's telling stories about how, since there weren't a lot of Khalijis, let's say, or people from Saudi Arabia specifically in Austin, and how I get mistaken for every different like racial entity yeah. there is, and mm-hmm. in, in, like sometimes a Mexican. If I feel like it, I'm half black. You know? <laughs> yeah, um, it's gonna work. Yeah. yeah, it depends on the girl. If she's cute, then I'm Indian. You know, <laughs> you know, it depends. Yeah. Like, I was just like doing. I'm like, I'm like a, I'm a cultural chameleon. You know, like I'm, t- and it was because I'm brown. Yeah. You know, that's like the beige of races. You know, <laughs> and that kind, of, those kind of jokes were like getting, were getting really nice laughs, and just to build on it. And then I started talking about my mom, and since a lot of Texans come from very conservative families, they related a lot to those jokes, even though. Do they? Yeah, even though, um, like, even though my mom's like. Muslim and their moms are Christian, but it's kind of like the same fears. That the they southern, have. southern, that kind of yeah, southern, the southern okay, family centric yeah. kind of uh, conservative culture, and and they kind of you know relate to it. Awkward family gatherings on occasions, they they totally related to that, you mm. know. Um, and I told them like, you guys have Thanksgiving, we have Eid al-Fitr, you know. Mm. Yeah, they're both feasts, mm. <laughs> yeah. you know. They're both big feasts with animals being slaughtered all over the place, and. Um, and that uncle that thinks he's funny and he's really not. <laughs> you all, you all have that, you know. And then I talk about like, like just different, different elements that they would relate to, and like I would par- do parallels between here and there. And um, and after that, um, the the feedback that I got was really good. And I remember the guy who was handling, like, who was hosting the whole thing, was like, "Yeah, you're, you're good, man. You should you should come more often and stuff like that." And I told him, sure, yeah. And then I started treating stand-up comedy like a cathartic experience, actually. Whenever I, whenever I had something to complain about, something to talk about, something that I ran into, um, I would just write it down and make fun of it on stage. And mm, it, it, it nice. continued that way until I graduated in 2007. And then I went back to Saudi Arabia and worked for an oil company that was sponsoring me. You know, for how, how old were you at this point? When I got back? Yeah. Probably 23, 24. Snap, okay. And then? And then um, after working for the the oil company for a couple of months, um, I heard about the uh, Acts of Evil comedy tour that came to Dubai. Mm. Um, I think Jamila Bouwarda organized the show. And um, they were actually doing a show in Bahrain. And I live in Khobar, which is uh, like yeah, it's really close. It's, it's really cl- close, close, like enough, an hour yeah. drive from there. With with customs and everything, it's an hour drive maximum. So I can, I, I was like, hey, you know, maybe I should try out for um, an opening act spot because I have a lot of a lot of things I could draw from just being back here. Yeah, with reverse culture yeah, shock yeah, and new material, yeah. I can think of so many things that I could talk about. And um, so. I, I contacted someone on Facebook, I think who was who was the admin for the for the for the event that they were having for in Bahrain. It was like a three four weeks um, ahead of time, and 
I messaged him, like I sent him a message, and I was like, hey, listen, um, I was just wondering if you have any auditions for opening acts. And he replied like a, a day later, and he was like, yeah, how did you know? And I was like, I didn't know, I just... I just guessed. I just threw a dart in the dark, yeah. you know? Um, and he was like, yeah, um, we're having it at Costa Coffee. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Um, you know, if you want to come through, and I'm like, yeah, sure, okay, Costa Coffee is going to be awkward, but that's fine. So I go to Bahrain and I go to Costa Coffee and I audition and they ended up like moving up to the food court and like setting up like, the chairs <laughs> to look like a stage. Upgraded. <laughs> yeah, you know. Because well, uh, they're like, this is way too awkward. But a lot of people were like looking at us and stuff like that, you know. Someone standing up and like overreacting and overacting a lot of stuff mm -hmm. as you do in stand-up comedy to a bunch of people laughing at them. Like, what the hell is he doing, you know. Um, so they took us up to um, the second floor in this like small mall in I think Deir maybe in Bahrain like this like little local okay. area not even like a touristy spot like just like just a, a little area, area. Yeah, <laughs> little area there and uh, we go up and they set up the chairs to look like a stage and kind of like an audience they, they lined them up like you know like audience seating and um, sh you know every everybody did their own like thing five ten minutes however long you wanted the other guys were from Bahrain yeah All, all from Bahrain? Mostly, yes. They had a, f a couple of Saudi guys come through, but oh, yeah. um, but I was the only one who was picked, I think. Nice. Uh, one Saudi guy out of like five opening acts, one Pakistani British guy, and three Bahrainis. So it was all nice. yeah, oh. five of us, and I performed. <laughs> They were telling me, like, oh, yeah, you were picked, blah, 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 we're going to perform on the 28th of October, 2008. It's for, it'll be during eight. Sure, yeah, no problem. And they're going to be like, well, there's like 2,000 people in the audience. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Why? From you, an open mic yeah. small. Okay, Cap, Cap City Comedy Club was like, maybe 50. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> If you're like, Lucky. max, yeah. max 100 on a weekend. Wow. And then you, you tell me 2,000? Like, I didn't even re like realize that the audience can be so big you can't see everyone <laughs> you know yeah. like it can't, you can see the person in the back that's way too drunk that's going to be kicked out you can see that person in, in a local comedy club not when it's 2,000 people and 2,000 people they're very quiet Yeah, they're like and really very attentive. Like, yeah, 2,000 and... people in the room is more quiet than one quiet person. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and they're all like attentive, like, what are you going to do now? You know, like just oh, looking you at you. You're funny. Yeah, <laughs> go ahead, entertain me. I paid money for this. So, oh, wow. So I, and I found out like the, just the adrenaline rush from seeing all of them made me perform even better. Nice. Okay. And, and, um, It's it's also it helped that I was kind of like fatigued from not sleeping very well because I was so nervous the night before. Less so you just uh, let that, that yeah. less inhibition. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And then and then I was like, from now on, I'm just not gonna sleep well. That's the thing. <laughs> I'm okay. never sleeping again. That's my method. <laughs> That's my method. And um, uh, so I performed for two nights, and then after that, I was like, oh, that was a great experience. Blah, blah, blah. And then I got contacted maybe a couple months later during like a, a workshop a work related workshop like at, in the company that I was mm. I was working in oh so now we're back to oil and gas yeah back <laughs> in oil and gas and they someone contacted me called Peter Howard Lees from from Riyadh who had something small, small like not company but like an entity that, were, that was organizing comedy shows and it started organizing comedy shows in, in, in complexes or yeah. compounds and then moved on to like more semi-public venues And the first 
uh, the first perform the first show he wanted to contact me for. He wanted me to perform at uh, the Rialto Golf Course. That was in 2009. Mm. And it was also, he's like, well, it's going to be at least 900 people, maybe up to 1,200. He ended up like selling out uh, both nights, 2,000 each. Yeah. Amazing. Wow. So, Amazing. There was just a hunger for it. Yes. Saudi has a yeah. big thing for comedy. Yeah. Isn't it? I yeah. I mean, because it's okay, there's a huge generation gap in Saudi. Between let's say my father's generation and our generation, so I'm I'm at the very edge of that kind of like new generation thing, you know, like barely at the edge of the curve of the millennials, let's mm. say. Mm. So it would be like from 30 to 20. That that generation, currently 30 to 20. Well, back then it was yeah. like 22 to to like 16 or whatever. But um, but that generation has had a gap between it and the generation before it, like a huge gap. Mm-hmm. Um, And that gap is not only in age; it's also in in, in culture, culture, global influence, culture of expression, yeah. culture of expression, culture of arts. Um, How is this gap described? Like, do people refer to this gap in any way is other it, than I mean, in the workforce? Most of the time, they refer to it as expertise. As expertise, yeah, a gap in expertise. There's a gap in expertise. That's because, very interesting. Because if they, if um, the older generation. The, a lot of them go through early retirement, mm. and once they leave the company, of course, you have this gap of expertise that you have I to see. hire more people for. That's interesting. Yeah, from you abroad, know, th- basically. That kind of makes sense because what was the latest out? Like seventy percent of uh, Saudis below thirty. More now, and now it's more. Yeah, it's like, what? Yeah, yeah. So then that gap. The whole of Saudi I, so Arabia. Gap, I think is, is yeah. When I started doing stand-up comedy, was like under under thirty was like sixty seven percent, and now it's. 70 to 80%. Where's all the old people? They're there. They're there. <laughs> I think they reproduce in large the numbers. Yeah. They just kind of sat in, back. No, no, in the no, no, not the workforce. No, We're no. talking about the in population. The pop- yeah. the population. Yeah. There's a huge baby boom. Yeah. Huge. Out of 30 million plus people. What, the you... largest percentage, believe it or not, is under 10 now. So, what, wow. okay. Yeah. So, as somebody who's a content creator mm. for Saudi, mm. what does this mean to you that your future audience is actually very, 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 very young? They're going to start consuming your content, you know? Right. I'm, I'm uh, like, for that kind of a, like, that bracket, I'm old. Yes. You are. I'm at the, I'm at the older edge. So I'm I'm seen as their big brother kind of like thing. Mm-hmm. Like it's most of the audience members that when when I started out, they're really young kids. Now, so I'm, they're kind of hitting puberty. They're, aren't they're, they? they're they're no, they're like mid twenties. <laughs> okay, they're they're mid twenties. So they were like fifteen, sixteen when yeah. I first started out. Now they're twenty two, twenty three. So with that, their taste matured. Yeah. In uh, consuming entertainment as well, so I had to shift. I got older too, so it was easy. Yeah. So yeah. from 20 I'm 31 now. Yeah. So it was easy to um, to kind of like bridge that transition with them. Like I've um that's what, when I first started out, I did stand up comedy for for a while, but then I felt like there was something missing, like there was more to explore, but I didn't have the format for it. Fair like enough. Outside of the stage because the stage is very limiting to a certain extent. I mean, you have the mic stand, you have the mic, you have the stool, maybe like a bottle of water, but that's it. Like Explore in what sense? Explore in terms of comedic expression or just your own artistic? Creative writing, creative performance. Um, for you as just a person? Okay. For me as, as, a, as a comedian or as a person. Um, and I've always loved acting when I was little. So, like, you know, in theater plays and all that. 
So I really wanted to act as well. Mm. So what I did was I started getting, just like I was getting into stand-up comedy when I went to college, after I got back to uh, Saturday, I got into YouTube vloggers. Specifically, Kasim G, Rayleigh M. Johnson, mm. when they were like in their heyday, you know, yeah. and, and uh, pre of, pre like sign up, I think pre yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. pre sign up, and and there were the 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 YouTube Partner Program was just like starting up in the U.S. and um, I think Rayleigh M. Johnson was like the top with like maybe yeah. two million subscribers, like that's like those one or two million subscribers max. And now they're like people with like 100 million subscribers, something like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just like, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. you know, just PewDiePie and stuff like that. pies at each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 No, but what's, what's, what I found really interesting, because well, I grew up, they, that I still, a lot of the vloggers, the daily vloggers that are now maturing are starting to kind of stop vlogging daily yeah. because of the psychological stress that yeah. it causes, you know, yeah. mm. and I feel an empty space in my life. I was telling OT. Yeah. What's, what's his name? Oh, uh, well, lately, Casey Neistat. Casey, Neistat who, yeah. Casey for me was kind of because he he had a, he was a filmmaker first and then kind of went on to YouTube. I had a lot of um, I felt a connection to the way he did things and his and his art, really. But what I was noticing was, you know, all of the, even Ray William Johnson kind of fade. Everybody kind yeah, of readjusted like a couple years. A couple ago, years, yeah. yeah. And um, guys like Phil DeFranco kind of readjusted or shifted gears differently. Yeah. To some kind people of, shifted to Facebook actually. I've absolutely. That too. Yeah. In, yeah. In terms of life, Facebook live stuff. Or just uh, no, 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 no. Facebook, Facebook content. Like Facebook Why video would they content? shift to Facebook? That's a bit weird. Uh, because on Facebook the, in numbers of views is actually the competing the, yeah. right now. Like the metrics YouTube. are competitive. Really? Yeah. yeah. For video content. Because you're, intensely competitive. Because you're always on the, um, the monetization is interesting because I think that by the, now most of the people who create content know other avenues to, you know, garner finances. Yeah. They don't necessarily look yeah. at the partner program so you look at as the really. Peripherals now more yeah. Than, which is why I now you know, see a lot of people, what they do is they upload a video to their YouTube channel, but then they'd have a separate video upload for Facebook. Yeah. So they can gain the metrics from both sides. Yeah. It's like yeah. AJ Plus, for example, they, they're... Yeah, is they a perfect that, example, they actually. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, Facebook might actually have some kind of a monetization tool, but I'm not, I'm not mm. very, you know, enlightened in that field. Interesting. But um, what happened was I, um, doing these stand-up comedy shows, I met a lot of creatives, and one of them was a, an up-and-coming director, like a guy who just started directing certain things. And he directed a parody for a TV ad online that I really uh, that really caught my eye, and I, I really liked his his editing style and his his directing. So I contacted him about this idea that I had, you know, you know, just like boiling in the back of my head for a while, which was like a, a satirical series, a monologue based, well, you know, first person, you know, talker, kind of um, vlog, I guess, um, about local um, socio-political uh, issues that I could I could talk about when it comes to, to the youth, which is not presented at all in any kind of media outlet, traditional media outlet. Um, in Saudi, you mean? In Saudi, yeah. yeah. Um, so I sent him, like, a couple of, like, Word documents of stuff that I thought would be, like, scripts. You know? <laughs> Quote-unquote. <laughs> Quote-unquote, yeah. Um, a lot of yeah, a, lo a lot of formatting <laughs> issues, so I can't even call it a script. Um, but I was in Eastern Province, and he was in Riyadh, so there was that distance issue. Mm. So, 
Okay, sorry. Continue. So I ended up driving to Riyadh to shoot a couple of like experiment experiments that we were, you know, dealing with pilots, <laughs> quote unquote, pilots. quote unquote, quote pilots. pilots. Um, That's dedicated. Didn't drive. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, uh, four hours going, four hours yeah. going back, and I would just crash it. Like That's what I'm saying, east is far. Yeah, yeah. Like, east is, It's not yeah. like I'm coming up. I really wanted to do it. I really wanted I'm to do it. Clearly, yeah. four hours. I would, I would have been four in Muscat by now if I took that drive. The main yeah. cities in Saudi on the west, right? I, um, I don't know. I mean, Jeddah is on the west side. Okay. Jeddah, Mecca, Medina, west yeah. side. Riyadh is in the center, oh. and 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 Khubar Dammam is on the east. Is oh, is in the east. Okay, okay, so, Dammam okay. and Khubar are like only like twenty minutes apart. Um, Khubar to Riyadh is about four hours. Smart. Riyadh to Jeddah is about eight hours. Okay. Yeah. So. So. Um, so I I would drive for a weekend and then stay like at a you know like. Furnished apartment, or say the furnished apartment, or like a motel, or something like that. You know, like a, not a motel, but like a four-star yeah. hotel, just like some some cheap accommodation. And um, I'd hang out with the guys, and one of them um, was Alat Yusuf, who was a professional photographer, but also um, let's say someone who was uh, our version of a DP, I guess. And um, we used a lot of his uh, photography experience to help us like frame a lot of things and and he had like a little we called it a vid- uh, studio masruk which is like a stolen studio because <laughs> it was like it was supposed to be like a, a room in like the top floor of his parents house I love it uh, the roof mm. actually mm. Mm. you know yeah. it's like yeah, everybody yeah, knows yeah, yeah, yeah. Something, right? standard. You know? standard so he actually turned it into like a, a makeshift studio for him Okay. Nice and um, sorry, that's like Sufyan when I went to interview him in, in Sudan. It's like a setup. So his the studio where so Sufyan is the Sudanese music producer, mm. and I went to his place to interview him. And funny enough, like I've heard about him from one of our partners, Firas. And then when I lived in San Francisco, I heard about him in Oakland. Wow! Like and but then here, this part of the world, people don't know him as much. Yeah. So when I was there, I'm like, I gotta meet this guy. I go to his place, and it was that. It wasn't just Ghafat al-Sadh. I mean, it was... Cardboard? It felt like a, the size of a prison cell. It was... <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And it was on the roof. And it yeah. was just this dusty old MPC with a Windows laptop. And that's where he was making some of the best music a lot of people have heard. Mm. Yeah, and then, yeah. like, uh, Alawardi also did the same thing. Yeah. Like, you know, Alawardi, yeah. his... 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 Uh, his uh, Sath room, okay, is like a rooftop. 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 Oh, okay. Yeah. So his rooftop room had it was like a makeshift studio. <laughs> yeah. Nice. With um, like a booth made out of mattresses, and like cardboard. All you can check it on his Instagram. It's up there. Okay. It's a, he he took a photo of it actually and, and uploaded it. It's it's like surrounded with cardboard you know boxes. Nice. For sound insulation. You know, he just pick it up from like you know local convenience stores or whatever, like in the you know storage uh, area and storage loading dock in the back. You know, just yeah, pick yeah, him up yeah. in his car and then let's you know just made his studio that way, and that's where he recorded Skills. a lot of things, a Skills. lot of things, including including no no drive. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So so a lot, just a lot of things that we that he's been recording up there, full albums even, and. Um, so that says a ha- lot, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. It says a lot about... Yeah. It's like a grassroots kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. And, and and innovation and the necessity. The, the necessity to create necessity, something. Yeah. 
And we would uh, we would rent out like recording equipment from people who were doing like anashid and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like production companies who were doing like Islamic stuff, and we'd get like neck uh-huh. mics, uh-huh, and stuff. You know? We'd have like oh, neck, wow. mi- and and then we'd um, we'd edit on like our MacBooks, and the guys were like beginners at editing so it would take them like a couple of weeks just to edit like, <laughs> a five minute clip but and there's um, a romance in that experience yeah yeah that I mean, journey. we had we had an episode up every two to three weeks but it was like, a, like we, we, we did it we yeah. did it you know yeah. and by the by the third episode I think um, our second episode was the first one to get a million views and that's when because we, we were expecting like 30,000 views 10,000 views why would you expect yeah. that many views altogether like why not why expect any like why expect yeah. other than your mom because your I saw other clips in other, other people yeah, okay. for other people are doing in Saudi Arabia that got like 100,000 views I see okay, so you, okay. so like, so you okay, kind of so gauged like it 20,000 30,000 yeah. would be good and then we got a million and we were like what the hell's going on <laughs> <laughs> okay mom <laughs> tell mom I made it you know? no, but like, what, what was it that got what was it that made it go a million what was uh, because it was something so unique for people uh, because it wasn't just us it, it there was like a bunch of other stand-up comedians that took that route as well. Hmm. Uh, one of them uh, was Omar Hassan. He actually yeah. uh, shot something to pitch to a TV channel. When it didn't work out, he uploaded it on YouTube. Mm. And it was kind of like the same format, but not really. Like he had like a desk and like, you know, uh, you know, yeah. cars in his hand with the logo of the show on it. And like he was doing it like uh, kind of like Jon Stewart style. Mm-hmm. Mine was just sitting on a bench or sitting on a chair and talking straight to the camera. So mine was more vlogging. His was more uh, mock news channel, mock news report kind of like what satirical. Was the subject? What was the subject? Um, ours was Laikthar, his was Al Tayr. The name of the show. Al on the like, fly. What What was the content of all sociopolitical issues? Oh, it was just a bunch of mix mash of things. Yeah, and then somehow it triggered. His was. Um, it was mostly stuff that we were, you know, already addressing in our stand-up routines. Mm. His was more, let's say, Jidda centric. Like you had like this Jidda point of view, and mine was like Riyadh point of view. Riyadh mm. um, Shagia because the, the east and and, and Riyadh because of the, the distance isn't too far apart, so that the cultures would be distinctly different. There's like a little b- bit of bridging that we were doing between them. So there's that part, and there's that part, and we were coming up around the same time. There's there was this competition. We were both getting views in the millions. We were both getting like hundreds of thousands of s- subscribers at some point. And um, it, what I found out, like I had to, I had to take a break after the first season to kind of reinvent the show for the second season. Mm-hmm. Omar did like a second season and then stopped. Uh, we continued for a third season, which just recently wrapped. Yeah. Um, but every time we do a season, I have to like take a break, okay. take a break, and then rethink the whole thing. Yeah. And What's there to rethink? What do you need to rethink? The style of writing. Um, I really had to be uh, edgier, more mature, uh, and more detailed in the the, um, the tackling of certain subjects. Like I had to be specific. I had to build up um, like, like an a, argument, like yeah. an For, argument yeah. properly, because yeah. the audience was getting older. Nice. The fourteen-year-olds that were watching me when I first started off in two thousand ten are twenty-year-olds now. And they have, they so are tackling the issues you. from a very exactly. different perspective. Yeah. Very different perspective. And you understanding your audience. Yeah. 
how do you do that kind of focus But, group? Like, how yeah. do you read the comments, or do you click on the demographics on YouTube? And and shows you the age group, and it tells you. And so, how do you do that age group research? Do you just look around you? And and so so it says twenty to, it says your age group, mm. but it doesn't tell you the quantitative. Comments Sorry, the qualitative. The, I mean, we had at least uh, at some point we had like two thousand comments on every single video. So, so you, you look through the comments, tell. and mm. the likes for comments would also tell you like uh, give you like, what works uh, for them. With so it's really an ecosystem that you yeah. were responding to. Yeah, yeah. Stuff uh, comments we've had on different social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, um, recently Instagram as well. Just different things, um, different comments on different platforms that were kind of hinting us towards where we should go with this. And um, okay. uh, let's say increasingly so, like throughout the first couple of seasons, we were kind of hearing people out more. By the let's say the second half of the second, not even the second half of seconds, like the last part of the first season and up until the third season, we were increasingly voicing our own opinions. Yeah. Um, because we were like, if you don't have a, an opinion, if you don't have a voice, people won't want to. Why, why, why would people watch you? If you're just um, Reflecting their own ideas, then who cares? Yeah, yeah reiterating their own perspectives. Yeah, they don't find a challenge in that, and they don't like. And in it's stiff as you know, you're provoking <laughs> them. Yeah, you're provoking them to think for themselves from a different point of view, your point of view. And sure, some of the episodes that I um, that I did got a lot of dislikes, <laughs> especially when I was talking about the religious police. You know, mm. but uh, I still did it anyway. You know, and um, even though they got a lot of dislikes, they were getting a lot of views, like so, crazy views. I was gonna ask, like, how do you guys deal with the the what controversy is- of all of this? Just keep focused. Like, so like, are, are you, are any you nervous about? Yeah, are you nervous about getting thrown in jail? Well, a lot of people were thrown in jail. They were doing this stuff. Seriously? So, yeah. so are you nervous? Yeah. I mean, no. Why? Why are you so brazen? Is what I'm saying. How are well, you so brazen? Because that hat, bro. It's probably no, man. Because he's a geophysics. Because this whole thing, like everybody was figuring it out as they went along, just like us. You know, even like, um, I mean, if we were to go to court, people like the judge wouldn't know exactly what to do. Yeah, yeah, but then, but then they here's throw you straight in the thing and like don't you? Well, out. not all the no, 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 not always. <laughs> I mean, if it's a serious offense, like if it's a serious offense like a political offense but we weren't talking about politics specifically okay so i mean sure there was a lot of controversy but most of us didn't get into any legal trouble because we weren't specifically political and not because we didn't want to talk about politics but the audience isn't political yeah isn't politically polarized is what i'm saying like the audience in the u.s is very political mm-hmm. the audience in egypt is very political In Kuwait as well, to a certain degree, mm-hmm. but in Saudi, Qatar, the UAE, Bahrain, they're, they're not, not that political. Yeah. I mean, okay, when you talk about global politics, yes, they are local politics. They're not. They're not really interested in hearing about politics as much as okay, politics that affect me socially. I agree with yeah. that actually, I and I think, out. and I think that that's actually a really interesting kind of boulder to 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 guard you and to yeah. guide you as well because mm. it's so i was so fascinated when i saw so much of the stuff that you guys had created because we work here i constantly self-censor we talk about this we probably yeah. we self-censor every- all the time like uh, i had this one thing where i was like okay in one condition i'm not gonna upload anything um i wouldn't feel comfortable with my mom watching 
So that was your benchmark. That was my benchmark. Mom's it's, is the benchmark. It's, 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 it's the best benchmark. benchmark. It's a good benchmark. It's the backhand slap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. not a joke. Or like the, the worst than a backhand slap is the frown. Yeah, that disappointment. Oh. Disappointed look. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, and the frown and the and the sh- and you know the, sh- the head shake is just yes. <laughs> like, slap me. It's like, it's like no, yeah, I'd rather be hit, man. Yeah. But it's that, like, yeah, that disappointment. I mean. Um, so this was kind of like my benchmark. Like if if it's something, and we got to be smart about it. It gives us a lot of room to talk about things, and we don't. We, I mean, I can't be, I can't be profane, for example, because you know I got to understand that I'm also uh, talking. Don't be vulgar, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're also you're also you just said it yourself. You're on the cusp of the of the gap, so that means you're looked up to. You're looked a leader, up to, and I don't want to alienate these people or yeah. piss off their parents or you know like I don't want. Why do that? Yeah. I mean, it's it's a uh, it's a battle I don't want to take. Or like, mm-hmm. I, I'm that's, not. That, that's a good. One. That's not yeah, yours. When to I fight. did stand up comedy in the first place, that's why like a um, couple of articles in like the National and, and Washington. I think it was Wall, Wall Street Journal actually, Wall Street Journal, um, or is it Washington Post? I'm not really sure, but they labeled me as the Seinfeld of Saudi Arabia because I did I, my material um, doing stand up comedy and doing stuff on YouTube was clean. Um, you know. Um, so mine was I was focusing more on observational humor yeah versus like you know a lot of people that would do you know uh, a lot of adult oriented oh, toilet humor or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally humor or whatever but um and that because it's because I wanted to target the, the largest uh, percentage of, of the demographic that I could yeah. and after a while doing YouTube then we started playing around or dabbling around dabbling with different formats um, I did the, the talkie format. So we switched to uh, a sketch format for another channel that we were doing. We, we at this point we had started a network. Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell when okay, did you decide you were yeah. going to go to a network and how did I that? To, I didn't go about? to a network. No, no. I mean, uh, create as in yeah, yeah, when 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 you broke open into a network. Um, Ala and Ali had this idea of creating a platform for other creatives. Actually, they wanted to be. That's why they called themselves at first. They called themselves cult, the Creative Culture Catalysts, or C three, mm. which is still there. C three films. C three films is still there. Yeah. But um, C three films was like the production arm. Let's say. Okay. But they wanted something of a platform to kind of have people from outside of the production arm actually come in and participate with us, and that's when they created two thousand eleven. 2011 was started it was called 2011 because it was initiated on 11-11-2011 okay mm. yeah so it was like and they you know and I says this in, in a lot of interviews um, the Arab Spring was happening we had our own kind of spring more of a a media revolution mm, yeah, yeah. In, I like that in, in Saudi Arabia and what happened was more YouTube channels were popping up. You got Omar Hassan representing U-Turn. We, you got us representing Tilfaz 11. And then we had different channels within Tilfaz 11. We had Khambala, yeah. Timsah, which is the alligator. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, we had Laikthar, which was the first show we, we ever did. And then there's a gaming show, Jagabov, and there's Fulaim, which is uh, run by this really talented young Incredible. director called Michelle Jasser. Yeah, Phenomenal. Um, he's back with a, with a new season right now. Um, and we actually ended up becoming creative consultants to a lot of other projects TVCs and and we even like um, um, a lot of us actually were played roles in in Ali Mustafa's sophomore uh, feature from A to B Um, and we just like we also ended up 
like when we were doing Khambalas, when we started thinking about, oh, filmmaking. Because Ali started directing a lot of the sketches in a short film style. Yeah. So there were seven minutes or ten minutes, up to ten minutes. It was it was less of a sketch, more of a short film. And not only that, but we ended up shooting or experimenting with shooting outside of the kingdom, outside of the region in general. That's for Humble. Uh That's for Humble. Yes. Yeah. We, uh, we ended up shooting in Fairfax, Virginia, Washington, D.C., and London. Hmm. So we shot two episodes. One was called Stereotype, and the other was called A Victim of, Re- of, a Victim of Reputation. One in London, one in, in Washington, D.C., and those were internationally themed Saudi-centric yeah. stories. Still. You should watch them, Jib. I yeah. think you'd, uh, you'd, 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 you'd really you'd like them. Uh, can I understand it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. All, all having the subtitles. But it's not yeah, only yeah. that. Like, watch it without yeah. the subtitles. You'll kind of see yeah. what it... I yeah. mean, it, it speaks to not only the Saudi experience, but it, the Arab experience. Yeah, I experience, think it's yeah. it's very much... Uh, the brown experience. Let's the brown experience, experience, actually. <laughs> the experience of the others. Yeah, yes. absolutely, and and that's one, something. Uh, one is related to like the Boston Marathon events, and one is related to seeing your countrymen in in different uh, countries. Like when you're traveling for vacation, when you you know when you, you know, lock eyes, when you lock eyes with like your countrymen, <laughs> yeah. and, and how you act around them, you know yeah. that's that's also uh, a thing culturally. And we we talk we 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 like we we target inner dialogues and like cultural differences and. Xenophobia and different other, you know, other yeah. kinds of stuff. Cultural was, appropriation, stereotypes, definitely because it was called stereotypes. So, so that's kind of like the thing we were um, we were working with. And then after that, the the Khambad experience matured really well to the point where we were like, stop, we gotta stop. I mean, we each individually had our own thing. You had to stop what? Sorry, we had to stop Khambala and think about something bigger. I see. Um, I broke out first, I think, and played the lead in Ali Mustafa's From A to B. And the reason I did that is because I really wanted to act, like really become an actor. Dramatic actor. Yeah, like concentrate on acting more. Um, so I had, I had stopped like the show on YouTube for a little while and then did the, the film and saw how that was. And I it was as such a... a Exhausting and enriching experience at the same time, professionally the fi- speaking. The filmmaking process. Yes, because we started off. This is where I ended up becoming an actor. So starting off with like acting, you know, in little roles that we were writing, producing, mm. and directing for like seven to ten minutes, and making them longer and making them more narrative driven, and you know, writing them in act format: act one, act two, act three. So we're kind of like, we're, you know, trying to... So you guys were learning as you go. Learning as we go. Well, yeah. is it... Is it because, the, sorry. Beca- go for it. Um, no, because I, like, I wanted to say that earlier when you were talking about, like, like the Alhamdulillah, how those were kind of progressing over time. Mm-hmm. Like, there was a maturity, maturity that you see in the show. Yeah. Not just in terms of the context, but, I mean, I think why you should start at the beginning and kind of watch up till now, Jib, is because you see, like... Sonically, how it changes, uh, mm. the visuals, yeah. the editing, the camera angles, the production, like cinematography, you s- everything. Yeah. Do everything. You see it growing and you see it improving with every season and with every episode. And 
and there, there's there's a beauty in that in that process in itself. Like you see all that effort, and we're kind of. I mean, we had we had no no chance to to like go to a certain academy to learn all this stuff. No, right. Yeah. And uh, only recently did the um, the sponsorship program for 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 Saudi students studying abroad recognize filmmaking as a, a credible degree. Mm. Which speaks to, to the larger casting problem that I have. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, so when we were doing it, there was no such thing as, oh, well, I'm a Saudi student studying filmmaking in Neurofilm Academy, um, part of the King Abdullah sponsorship program. No, there was no such thing. But you guys opened those degrees. doors. Yeah. Huh? I think you guys opened those doors. I think we were, yeah. Um, but collectively, I think because it was it Definitely. was us and a lot of other people doing just the same thing. Right? Yeah, yeah, just general. And I think yeah, with Tilfaz and U-Turn, there was a birth of a lot of different channels yeah. and different shows. That and a lot of people who were doing it either for the right reasons, the wrong reasons, doesn't matter. They were doing it they anyway. Doing it. People who were looking for fame, people who were looking for success, people who were looking for an outfit to compete. So w- w- that's what I was going to ask: uh, Were you chasing craft or were you chasing content? In in this all this process, were you chasing both, craft? Both actually, yeah, both. I was I was. Uh, when you say craft, you mean like I wanted own, to develop like, myself. Yeah, you're like okay, now I'm okay. I did this. Now I'm doing this. Okay, now I'm doing dramatic acting. Okay, da da da. Were you do? Was it that like I'm trying to get better at that, or as I'm I'm trying to make things? Both. Okay. I, I believe I believe it's it's both because um, I was doing it like it was it was like a seesaw. So it was like yeah. back and forth. Yeah. Like um, I would do something new. And then go back to creating content, and then do something new, and then go back to creating content. So when I did the first season um, of of Laikthar, I took a break because I want. Uh, that's when um, I was wrapping things up um, in the company I was working in, mm. and ended up quitting and doing this full time. Some peace out, I'm good. Peace out, I'm, I'm out. <laughs> and you know what? I'm gonna do it on twelve, twelve, twelve. Nice, <laughs> you know, just just for the hell of it. So I remember, like the we also uploaded the first clip on the Lakto channel on ten ten ten, and then created two thousand eleven 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 eleven, and then I quit twelve twelve twelve. So nice. it seems to be the succession. Numbers, it was just like, numbers are working in your favor. Yeah, numbers yeah. are working in my favor. Not well, the last one I did it on purpose, but yeah. Um, <laughs> so I left the company. I started doing it full time. I moved to Riyadh um, fully, and started working from there. Um, I was um, a writer on on and a, an actor in, in Khambala. Um, creative producer for Laikthar as well and uh, just doing a lot of stuff and the what happened was that was right before I I, uh, I got the role for, for from A to B I got an email in 2000 I believe in 12 end of 2012 I think beginning 2013 like around that time um, still have the email in my inbox Someone who had sent me because I, I, I didn't think too much about it, but I created like my own little website, you know, fadcomedy.com, and like had an email up there, and it was like just like an about me page, you know, where you have like links to your social media and, and an email and everything. And um, I got verified on Twitter, and I was really crazy about it. <laughs> oh my god, you know, and I and and after that, I got an email from someone called Gina J. Just random email, and she was asking if I was available to uh, self tape for something. It's like, what the hell is this? What's self tape? So I googled what self tape is. Yeah. Oh, self taping audition. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
And I wanted to ask her about whatever, you know, it was. And then she had me, like, I think she had me sign an NDA. I'm not really sure. And then, I mean, correspondence with time difference. Apparently, she was in, in uh, she was a UK-based casting director, but she's she was currently in the U.S. Back and forth, time difference was, like, delaying a lot of the communication. And then she had told me that this is actually a project for an American director. And I'm like, well, who is it? And she's like, Wes Anderson. I'm like, what the hell? What? I like Wes Anderson. And then uh, she's like, yeah. And then and then (laughs) she had told me that it was like for this, uh, you know, bellboy, blah blah blah. I I had no idea what the what the name of the the The, that movie. It was for Grand Budapest. No. So I auditioned. (laughs) I self taped. I sent her the clip and everything. And I think I was narrowed down. It was narrowed down like that role was narrowed down to three people. my case was a little more difficult because I had to have an O1 visa. And you so didn't have one at the time. I didn't have one at the time and all that stuff. That is so frustrating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and they, but the major, the major um, reason, I mean, it's Wes Anderson. He doesn't really care about that stuff. He can get me an O1 visa if he wanted to. But the reason was because they wanted to go for a really, really young look. Okay. Mm. And Tony Rivalori, the, the guy who ended up getting it, was like at least six or seven years younger than I am. Where is he okay. from? He's Italian? He's Italian Indian, uh, I think. Yeah. And um, the reason they wanted to go for me at first is because they wanted to be uh, culturally accurate because the guy's supposed to be from the Kingdom of Arabia. So that's the closest thing they can get. Oh, Arabia. I see. So I told me, yeah, sure. And, and, you know, when I went on audition, they found out that my English is, is you know, uh, great. Is like, is great like this. So they were like, oh, well, he's not going to be a problem, you know, when it comes to the dialogue mm-hmm. and. Maybe we should try him out. And uh, a couple of months later, they told me that, you know, they apologized. Uh, Wes decided to go for a much, much younger look mm. in the writing process and all that. So, because he was thinking like mid-20s, but then he went really, really young, like 16, 17. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, sure. But then that kind of was like, you know what? I, you know what? I should. I should. I, I, I should do this. this. Yeah. I can smell it. Yeah. So I was like, so like I, I, you know what? Um, this is this is getting, this is not as challenging as, as it was for me before. Like the, the stuff that I was doing on YouTube. You you don't feel you yeah, didn't feel it was as challenging. Uh, not as challenging. And and this kind of like this audition or this self tape was like, you know, mind opening for me. And that's when. I started seeking out um, roles and, you know, just opportunities to act. Um, and that's when I got in contact with Adam Mustafa mm. to audition for the role of Jay for, from A to B. And then I did it. And then I had my name up on IMDb and I was crazy about it, you know. <laughs> and uh, the payment wasn't high at all. But I, I, I was going to do it for like two terms. No problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you just yeah. were going to do it. Yeah. That at was that it. Point, I was like, just going to get that movie out. Yeah, exactly. And then that happened. And then I went back to Naikthor and started doing... Um, uh, the show on YouTube for another season for one third season and I was like this is like, going to be the last season so I had full creative control because I wanted to say a lot of things about certain things and then when, when, it, when it ended um, I did this sitcom that I was telling you about which was just like the producers um, ended up giving me a lead role because of From A to B because of uh, like all the yeah. series yeah. before and it's it's a TV series. It's a sitcom. It's it's half American, half Saudi. It was really interesting to do it, and that's why I got the O one visa to go and do it there. And the the cast was other than the main cast, all Americans. Amazing. 
So so it was easy to cast in LA too. It's it is yeah. because it's like so there is a pool of people yeah. who a, live their yeah. lives waiting for a role. The most you know? difficult roles to cast for were the Saudis. Yes. Mm-hmm. Especially the Saudi female ones. Oh Why? yeah. We had, we ended up getting uh, Nur al-Badr who who mm-hmm. um sounds familiar. I mean because we had to have her um be like 20 to 30 so a younger bracket and she had um there are only a few Saudi girls or actresses who, in that age group who can be actresses can be actresses because it's are, yeah it, it's really or tough. are she is yeah. actually she's yeah. had a lot of um a lot of um experience on TV yep and she's done a lot of uh roles in selfies done a lot of, she was a lead in Muktathat which was a show directed by um Haifan Mansour and from there being in LA with an Owen visa I ended up like getting meetings with I don't know like William Morris, Netflix, UTA, and ended up doing a couple of auditions. Uh, one I heard back from, I didn't get the role. It was a 50-year-old anyway. So I, <laughs> there was, there was going to be a lot of makeup involved. Yeah, exactly. And um, the second one I still have, uh, haven't heard from. So just being there for a couple of months... and while working i still managed to get like a lot of auditions and it shows you like how there is a hunger for a, a hunger new face this, yeah. of because this is something what i love about um your story is we always talk about the specter of the arab we don't always talk about it but it comes up in circ- in, in conversations especially mm. in film the specter of the arab in hollywood like yeah. what how we are represented in mass you know in, in media that is mass consumed Absolutely, yeah. and um i think guys like you break the mold just a little bit and the more roles like i encourage you to definitely. very much oh, you know yeah, say everything definitely. you need to say and be a voice for that because i mean we need it so badly yeah, like what do you yeah, mean is it, it is it that he doesn't look traditionally no no no, like no, no, no. it's because Hardly. i look traditionally it's because he looks but i have role. uh but like you know if i get um if i get casted for a project i'm not coming in just as an actor yeah i can actually give them um cultural consultation. Ah. I can also help them with translating certain yeah. lines. Okay, okay. Um okay. for it to be culturally appropriate. Yeah. So you got to get rid of that Alibaba. Yeah, yeah, that, that Alibaba, you know, terrorist yeah. kind of thing. Like, terrorist. Yeah, exactly, you know. <laughs> so then yeah. you're coming this in with a fresh perspective and kind of fresh like, perspective. Okay, this is wrong, this is how we should look. Exactly. And, and I yeah. speak their language mm-hmm. in the way they speak the it. Gestures so. yeah. The gestures and all that. The gestures and everything. Okay, okay. So and um, we grew up watching American comedies. Yeah. yeah. So I know exactly how you guys write your stuff. And and the time the, yeah. Yeah. so I want to ask you like now what 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 this happening with the sitcom now oh um, oh, oh before you okay. uh, I want to talk about <laughs> one I want to talk about one aspect of why I also wanted to move out of YouTube yes yeah, okay. please speak okay Good. I'm surprised we didn't one thing that. yeah I want, I want one thing is is the lack of logistic and uh, financial support from the the YouTube partner program in the Middle East. The reason is because the partner program here, you know, YouTube based in Dubai, it was started like a year after we started, I think. Okay. Yeah. In 2011 or something like that. So, and it was kind of like a, a, a branch of the, 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 the partner pro. We were signing the contracts for the partnership with like YouTube Ireland before they even opened up an office in Dubai. And then they opened up an office in Dubai. But what YouTube failed to do is... get enough clients to sign on with their ad platform so they don't pay as much 
And you know what's crazy? Yeah, there are more eyes on YouTube per Here. day in Saudi than anywhere else oh, in sorry, the world. Not, not, anymore. not anymore. Not anymore. Not anymore. They used to be at like the time that you guys at the time that you guys were signed. We were doing it, it was more than 90 million views a day. Yeah, yeah. when they got signed, when they first I signed, yeah. I and this is what I was like, is this a weird anomaly, a weird phenomenon? Like, mm. are we missing something in the education bracket between us and the clients? Yeah. Because there are more eyes on these guys than people watching TV. Yeah. What are we missing here why are you guys not getting i was just trying to figure that out and i couldn't figure out where what happened was what we missed what happened was when we first started out it was just youtube there was just youtube as a visual content platform but then other social media platforms started opening up the video format so you got instagram you got twitter twitter even has a video yeah yeah Yeah. uh not just live periscope Periscope is for like visual content that's live. They even have a, um, um, a monetization platform for uploading videos on Twitter right now. You hmm. can make money off of that. Twitter videos. Okay. Um, you can make money. I mean, you can you can upload content on Instagram. Yeah. You can upload. Uh, con- you can you can even vlog on Snapchat. Yeah. Uh, and the thing is, YouTube content creators were kind of choked by this high level of production that they have to uh, keep up with keep, keep up, up with, with yeah when everyone else was doing it with their phones yeah i like, could see that people on instagram were shooting the whole thing with on, iPhones. on the other platforms on the other yeah. platforms. the other platforms had this immediacy that was built in to exactly. the platform right even with instagram where they were doing like 50 minute sketches or one minute sketches or whatever they were shooting on their on their phones shooting the whole thing on their phones editing on their phones, on the phones and then phones. uploading it and they were like they were mimicking our for- framing for for like the scenes and doing a lot, <laughs> like, of, and they were even using some of our soundtracks, yeah. which is like stuff that we've actually composed with like people that we have, and and that was costing us, and they were doing it just like that, yeah, with even, no problem, it, and that was that was causing us a problem, so we ended up a lot of the a lot of times we ended up having to uh, work on TVCs just to get the money enough to support the network, mm. and. Or find product placement, and that's exhausting. Agreements. I don't know if and you've ever have, been in that arena. Yeah, it drains you creatively. We have to. We have to. Ha- we we ended up having like a couple of marketing officers just for that. And, and where is the platform now? Like where? Well, right now, um, YouTube. The YouTube Partner Program is is obviously suffering from from a lot of uh, the Middle East YouTube Partner yeah, yeah, Program. Yeah. yeah. Uh, suffering from a lot of content creators leaving the platform. Sure. Um, a lot of people like Badr Saleh, for example, now who mm. had like the top channel in Saudi moved to NBC mm. to host his own talk show because the exposure was dropping, the views were dropping, people were being distracted by other uh, visual content on other uh, media platforms. Uh, when we first started off, there were more than 90 million views a day for Saudi Arabia now the Middle East and North Africa collectively have about 100 million views oh wow so where's yeah. everybody that's going? a massive drop Snapchat Instagram Twitter everywhere else it's yeah. just that the even Facebook even Facebook now has video back then Facebook didn't, didn't have video yeah it's just that the pie has been split that's what you're saying yes the pie has been split and YouTube didn't do much to uh, kind of so that means it's no longer viable just because the pie no it is it is to a certain degree if you keep the production value to a certain limit. 
But if you want to really uh, uh, okay, cost, create, cost, yeah, okay. the, the caliber of the content, uh, the production value does suffer because you have to feed a hungry beast, and yeah. the beast is always and hungry. And the, uh, the beast has a taste for the yeah. production quality of most YouTube channels, which is high, you're saying? Uh, well, now, no. Because the, the tastes have shifted along with whoever was creating content. The people who were creating content were... People were doing daily vlogs, makeup tutorials, um, uh, pranks, yeah, yeah. dares. Those are getting. Those are still getting They're views huge, in the yeah. millions. Yeah. And then when that happens, nobody really appreciates high production cost or mm -hmm. production value, and you end up, you know, barely getting a million views for one really well produced video. <coughs> um, less people are producing for YouTube because of that. I mean, if it was, if the partner program was doing more to support these creators, it wouldn't have happened. But it is how it is. That's why I believe um, YouTube is organizing this December yeah. the YouTube pop-up space. Yeah. yeah. I mean, everywhere else in the world they Except have YouTube you. space. Here they have YouTube pop-up pop space because they don't even have a solid um, <laughs> like headquarters no. for YouTube space in Dubai. But they really want to get together with the content creators to help basically engage and, and engage with them and, and keep them in the platform. Uh, it's like a workshop type of thing. It's and like a workshop, out. What do you need? meet and greet, networking, networking event, event, where they really want people to stay, please stay with us. You know what's fascinating <laughs> with all this is that you're talking about how now you're venturing out and moving out of YouTube, yeah. whereas... Agencies are playing catch up. Everybody's saying, "Go to YouTube, go man. get on YouTube." <laughs> Agencies are still pushing yeah. that forward. But my main thing is that YouTube did shift its focus to actually accommodate for brands because they had cash, and yeah. the act, the practice of you guys um, making consulting for TVCs and making TVCs in order to make money is a microcosm for what's happening within YouTube. Mm. And so I think that's just a reflection. Yeah. You guys mirrored yeah. what you know. You guys What's mirrored happening? the platform, yeah. and content creators do mirror the platform. If the funding came from the platform, you expand, then you wouldn't have had to go to brands, and yeah. that's the, and that's the that's reason. The you yeah. expand from that on, and you go into new stuff. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I I left like the first project I did when I when I kind of like was towards the end of the of the season of like the third one uh, was I I pretty much was the creative consultant producer for. The OSN feeling campaign, the whole thing, mm. um, which ended up being on YouTube. Mm. You know, I, I I shot the whole thing, full production set, um, makeup artist, costume design, you know, director of photography, director, you know, working with a creative agency, everything. Like so was, you had you were a creative on it. I was a creative was a on it. Do you still do creative consultancy? Yeah, of course. I'm I'm a creative consultant for Mohammed um, Hadab's next film. Cool. Wow, yeah. nice. Which is called Rashid al Rajab. It should be, it's still shooting right now. It should be wrapping in the next couple of weeks, three, four weeks maybe. And he actually gave me a cameo role on mm. the, on the, in the film. And um, I actually took it a step further because like I said I would just keep like looking for challenges and I wrote my first script my first feature script congratulations Congrats. thank you 89 pages in 8 days it was buckled down and right 
or else it wasn't going to get done. Exactly, yeah. Good for you. And now it's in the hand of a a production company that are looking uh, into a development plan for the script. And maybe, maybe possibly looking into pre-production by next year. Well done. Nice. Very well done. I mean, it's 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 in parallel to whatever other people who started on YouTube uh, are doing now. Yeah. Like Hisham Faqih, yeah. who was with me on No Woman No Drive, or I was with him on No Woman No Drive. He was uh, with me on Laikthar in episode 14. He started doing vlogs on YouTube, and now he's the lead in the, the film Baraka Baraka Meets Baraka, which is the, the Oscar submission for Saudi Arabia right now. Yeah. Are you seen uh, that? Yeah, I, I was that. crazy excited about that. I went to catch that the day it, the day it released. Shahid Khaira yeah. was uh, Snapchat. Because like, it was interesting because the lead role was her name, Fatma Benawi. She's like, never acted before. She never acted never, before. Yeah. She did theater yeah. in, in high yeah. school or middle yeah. school. And, and you, that was it. She some, was the lead actress. You know what it role. is when you have this creative intention to create yeah. something that's meant to be in the world? People like her arrive at your doorstep because it's meant to be yeah. in the world. And I really believe she that. She arrive at the doorstep. No, no, I'm sure you <laughs> dug. I'm sure you dug. Really, really dug. dug for her. Yeah, but I mean, but, um, like you find them. Yeah, yeah, like you, you find do, them, you do, and you do, you do. I think that that's something that's yeah. remarkable about film is, is. that I've seen Even that the director, energy. It's, it's his first. It's, it's his first. Yeah, film. yeah. How yeah. are they executing and the, like, the story? And huh? How are they executing as people who doing who are doing this for the first time? How are they? It's fine if you have you know producers and cinematographers who the have guidance. the technical yeah. the guidance okay, and technical sure. experience and you have a vision mm. they'll make it happen I yep. mean sure. um, Quentin Tarantino said it before in one of the interviews as a director you're not supposed to know how to shoot a scene no you're not supposed to know how to do a storyboard you're not supposed to know how to write you're not so you're supposed to get a team together to do this for you isn't that the producer no, no. the producer is the logistic and the director is the creative head so if you look at Omar and I I produce and he is the creative so we have a very separate I'm the spreadsheet and he's the storyboard so we look at it like that way but a great director is a great leader and you have to learn to lead and rally teams on board and find a way to articulate your vision Um, great directors know how to do that and know how to sit with an actor and bond very very deeply at a level that um, is beyond us like you've known each other from times before that you've never experienced actually experienced mm. in this kind of moment mm. those are the things that make me fall in love with my with my craft that's the stuff and, and a lot of times it gets really personal and really yeah. awkward and re- really nerve wracking basically yeah because I remember uh, I think the worst moment I've had where I was like, I felt so much pressure. I've never felt this much pressure in my entire... I've, I've performed in front of thousands of people. I've never felt this kind of pressure as much as, as I did when Osama Sadeh was directing a scene for this TV series that we're doing, sitcom. He came up to me, he was talking to me about a scene where I'm supposed to be like talking to this girl and trying to explain myself because I, I messed up big time. Um... I think I did something that kind of um, ruined her relationship with her brother or something along those lines. And then he comes up to me and he's like, listen, please give me your all. Give me your best performance. This scene specifically is a personal favorite of mine because it's based on a story I've actually been through. And I was like... <laughs> oh my god no crap 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 you know like yeah. don't tell me you're personally invested in the scene 
right before you say action. <laughs> you know, and then he's like, okay, please, I'm begging you. This re- this scene really means a lot to me. <laughs> and then it goes behind the chair. It's like, okay. <laughs> Sound speed. You know, like, oh, God. <gasps> that was, I think. Yeah. And that kind of, it's because I felt like this responsibility. Yeah, like you have to deliver. You have to deliver, man. This guy's emotionally invested in this scene. And he's he's he and he tells me like I trust you, <laughs> you know. That's you're it. like my son. You're like stone with the blessing you're, you're and like, the curse. Listen, you're like my brother, you know. <laughs> you know, take care of me like a brother, and then goes behind the camera. Like what? The and, hell? You're oh, like, God, and you're like, yeah, you're, you're hiding, action. you're hiding in like behind like screens in the, in the video village, and I'm over here. You know, in front of the lens, which is like a quick zoom lens, like aimed at me like a gun, you know. And I'm supposed to do this with an actress who's looking straight at me like, get ready, be in the moment. You know, we're about to shoot right now. Wow. And make sure that the mic doesn't fall off and all these things at the same time. It's, it's, I think, acting is not as exhausting physically as it is mentally. Yeah. And it's because you have to pretty much act like you're someone else for 12 hours a day sometimes for uh, three months mm. six days a week three months it's it gets yeah. really it, it takes a toll on you and you have to take a break out that's why a lot of uh, like Daniel Day-Lewis mm. who's a huge method actor yeah. does barely a project a year yeah he disappears man. he disappears right after and right before right before to kind of like just invest in the role like when, when it came to like Gangs of New York he actually worked as a butcher for a while before he played a butcher in Gangs of New York. That's why if you see his movement when he's like, yeah. you know... Uh, it's studied. Work, yeah, working with the knives and everything, he's, it's you can tell he's been doing this for a while. So my what kind what what kind of an actor are you when I say that? what Do, do you have a method of practice uh, or are you not right. there yet? Uh, not exactly there, but I think... I have a few influences, I guess. I like what Will Smith does. I like what, what Will, does Smith Will Smith does. Do? Um, his acting doesn't spill over into his personal life. Like he keeps them very clean cut separate. Like when I'm on state when I'm on, like when he's on set, he's the character for the whole time he's on set. And then when he's in in his like resting area or whatever, he's back to being himself. And he invests in certain, he does certain activities that he would do as Will Smith to kind of like Break. stay sane, basically. Um, I mean, method acting. Um, you hear a lot of a uh, lot of ugly stories that come out of like just pure method acting that spills over to your personal life. Um, is, but is the method acting considered like the highest form of acting or something? Yeah, artistically. Everybody reveres it, right? As a, as uh, a not everybody reveres no, it. Like, yeah. Directors hate it. I think ah, it's... Okay. Directors hate it because um, they end up babysitting the <laughs> actors, you know? Because they're trying to talk to them, you know, as their acting selves, but they're being the characters. Yeah. You but, know? It, but, it's, but what's also interesting about it, it's you, know, like, it's like, it's, you can't direct something that's happening to someone. Yeah. Yeah. It's very difficult. So if this person has built a character and is living a character, you can give them direction, but at the same time, you almost have to bow down sometimes yeah. to that. And it's tough. It's tough. I mean, I mean, the number one method actor 
in the world, the most classic one, is Marlon Brando. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, He's the most classic method actor. Uh, The most tragic incident to happen to a method actor is Heath Ledger with the Joker. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And Marlon Brando is not very popular amongst directors. Yeah, not very popular. Um, It's the same way for a lot of method actors. I mean, on, on in front of the camera, Danny Day Lewis isn't that heavy of a method actor. I mean, he does a lot of personal research. I think what he is 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 disciplined. Very disciplined, and that discipline, super crazy disciplined. Yeah, but it's not necessary to take this approach to achieve the best result. Is what you're saying? Uh, it's not. It depends subjective. on the role, and it depends on the project, and, and it's, the person, it's, and the person. It's a lot of, like a lot of people can give you amazing performances without having to invest that much into the character. Uh, they're just naturally inclined to be an empty vessel and, and like just take in the character for yeah. the time they're in front of the camera, and they give you a really really good performance. Um, one of these uh, people is um, uh, Matt Damon, for example. Yeah. Matt Damon is a great actor, but he's not really a method actor. Um, who else? Like a lot of people. Mo- yeah. uh, Will Smith is one of them, obviously. Yeah. Okay. Um, like let's compare Will Smith, let's say in Suicide Squad, for example. Will Smith and Jared Leto, who played the Joker. Okay, Jared Leto is a method actor. He really went into like the character, and it even spilled over. Into yeah, it was in him yeah. chickens and hamburgers. Like chickens? No, no, it wasn't. It wasn't as, as benign as that. No, <laughs> no, no, no it wasn't benign. as benign. He was sending them rats. used condoms yeah. and dead rats. Okay, and um, when they like a lot of time, they interviewed Will Smith afterwards, and he was just saying that Jared Leto is a very horrible person. <laughs> <laughs> he was saying that he was, he even had a rap party at his house, and, and he didn't, didn't invite him. Jared Leto was the only person he didn't invite. From the whole cast, damn. Man. Yeah, man. I mean, you see how difficult he was with his co-star. Imagine what he was like with the director. Mm-hmm. I mean, considering the result, when I watched Suicide Squad, yeah, was it worth it? No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I went and I saw the premiere at the Chinese theater in, in Los a, Angeles. In LA, yeah. Horrible experience. I slept halfway through. Oh no! Wow. I still haven't seen it. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> No. He's like, no, don't do Because uh, I've read the reviews and they scared me yeah, off it completely. Yeah. I, I read the views. I'm like, nah, come on. They're just, they're just bashing the guy because of yeah. Batman and Robin. It's the same producer. Yeah. For, sorry, Batman versus Superman. Superman. Yeah. Um, yeah. You see the reviews. Yeah. You know. So um, all I can say is like. So you're you're leaning towards being more like Will Smith as as the inspiration for your method. That's what you're saying. Uh, oh, one of the inspirations from my method. Okay. Also, creatively speaking, when it comes to a career path, I really like what Woody Allen did. He went from like stand-up that. comedian to actor yeah, to director yeah. to writer, and he still creates masterpieces. Like yeah. um, his last, I mean, his last uh, project, his last film, mm-hmm. Cafe Society, is amazing. I haven't seen mm-hmm. it. It's amazing. Okay, we I'll definitely. I mean, we should have a movie night. Let's we should have a movie night. Producer, a guy who can Harry execute. Yes. yes. It should be fun to see these things come like. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess we'll be seeing you at Diff. Yeah, Shall we'll be seeing you at Diff. I'm trying to get like a tux thing. <laughs> 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 I'm going to go classic. So open schmuck. We have yeah. to. Yeah. Okay, yeah. We'll yeah. Yeah. And then do this thing. But they always say like formal wear or national address. Okay. Cool. 
Sweet. It's not a suit and tie affair, is it? Um, it's a formal affair. Ah, but you don't have so to. you see suits and ties, you see tuxes, you see tobes, you see kanduras, you see different kinds of people yeah. from different parts. Zotra agal.
niggas blowing up. Gucci on my wall. 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 Gucci on my wall.
When I wake to the morning sun Then I sleep when the morning falls And I bask in the morning slow Till I can't feel the love no more And we see what the day will bring And we see what's left in store And we listen to the old birds sing They cry melodies of love so raucous like To get involved with these shoulders is not for you to sniff along. I watch the wall collide with my fist, mostly over problems that I know I should fix. Focus so I know my skin tone is a cliff. We on the edge and they hoping we slip. I had to ask moms what I owe to this shit. She said nothing. She asked me about the old times both of us missed. I said nothing. She asked me if I'm smoking again. I told her that I probably gotta go in a bit. I've been trying to tell a different story. Find balance and I'm tipping off. And tell grandma I'll be with a short. I'm on panic when they send a fuck me. Cause I ain't got time for feeling sorry. I gotta be on point when duty call. And I'm probably the worst nigga to get involved with. These shoulders is not for you to sniff along. 